listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. All right, so Daniel chapter 12. Before, if you are in Daniel already, uh, and as you've seen, the first, uh, the first six chapters are the narrative portion of Daniel, the easy chapters. Uh, usually when we, somebody preaches through the book of Daniel, that's where they stop, and then they jump over to the book of John, okay? Uh, but the, we looked at the first six chapters back in the fall, and we've looked at the second half of Daniel, the apocalyptic literature, those, uh, the stories, the writings about what is to come from Daniel's perspective, the future writings of what was gonna happen in the coming hundreds of years, up into the second coming of Jesus. So we've seen that through the second half of Daniel, and now we're gonna close with chapter 12. Before we do, I actually wanna, I was looking at 2 Corinthians chapter four this morning, and what we see here, and Daniel has set this up, so chapter 10, we have Daniel praying for God's mercy, asking that the Lord would intercede on his behalf and on his people's behalf, because they were longing to get back to Jerusalem. And then chapter 11, we see this vision, really through the end of verse number four here in chapter 12, but we see this vision that Daniel has of the future, and we've looked at that the past couple of weeks. And then today we have the response of Daniel and God's people to that vision that we've seen. But what we see here in the book of Daniel, especially here in this last chapter, is that there are two two realities at work. And so we've seen all throughout that there's a spirit of Babylon and we've seen this kind of transform names um, into the spirit of antichrist. And ever since Satan declared war on a holy God, there's been this cosmic battle between good and evil, God and Satan, good guys and bad guys. We see that it's been happening since that war began in the spiritual realm, that which we often do not see, and it pours over the spiritual realm, impacts the physical realm. But it's happening still today, the spirit of Babylon is just as active today as it has been for centuries in the past. And so we've been talking about that. And what Daniel sees today, he's able to see and uh, really to look back and say, man, I've seen, I'm here in the physical realm and I've looked into heaven. I've seen the spiritual realm. This is the vision that's been laid out in front of me and I still don't really understand it. And so for many of us, when we come to Daniel, when we look at apocalyptic literature, when we think forward about Revelation, we're like, man, what does this mean? What are all the signs and the symbols and the colors and the locations and the nations and the people? What, what do all these things mean? And even Daniel, he sees perfectly the physical realm and the spiritual realm, and he's still just like, ah, man, okay, this is, this is kind of wild. I don't exactly know what all of this means. Here's my encouragement for us this morning as we look at this final chapter in Daniel, and as we think back through over what we've seen of the book of Daniel, where is our focus and where is our gaze? Because most of the time, we want to look at the spiritual through earthly physical eyes. And our prayers reflect that. 
Man, if I just had in this life what God could give me, if he would just heal this person, if he would just provide this job, if I just had more income, if I just knew what the future was to hold, if he would just um, tell my wife that this is the way she's supposed to act, or if my husband would stop doing this, or if my kids would be this way instead of that, whatever it is, we want the spiritual to give us what we think we need here in the physical Instead, the perspective of Daniel is this. He wants to have spiritual eyes to look at the physical realm. So what is the perspective of heaven? When heaven looks down at the earth, what does it see? And that's what we have in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches his disciples, or the disciples' prayer. They say, teach us how to pray. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our focus, our goal should be to be able to see from heaven's perspective, from an eternal perspective, knowing that this life is not all there is. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about this. He says, uh, let's look at, uh, look at verse number 5. He says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We here in this world, our eyes are darkened. The only way that we can live in light, by light, for light, through light is that of the good news of the gospel. He finishes this chapter. He says this, writing about our spirit. He says, verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Just in speaking with folks this morning, we come in this morning troubled, ailed. We come in this morning stressed. We come in this morning burdened, longing, heavy, distracted, angry, anxious. Anybody there? But we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, notice where the focus is. Notice what's most important. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. May we not have the perspective of this earth that others around us have, those who are living in darkness. He says, may we see from enlightened eyes, from heaven's perspective, for the things that are seen are transient. They're passing away. But the things that are unseen of the heavenly realm, of the spiritual realm, those things are eternal. So may that be our gaze and our focus, even as we look at the book of Daniel in chapter 12 this morning. So Daniel begins in chapter 12, and I want us to see five things. The section breaks up pretty nicely into five different points. The first one is this, is that God rescues the troubled. God rescues the troubled. Look at verse number one with me, if you would. And Clyde did a great job reading it just now. I'm not going to read the entire passage again. But he says, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble. Never in history, as we're looking here to the end of time. And so this would be looking and this would be comparable to the book of Revelation. of those things that are to come. Never has there been such distress or suffering 
so intense or severe as what's going to happen. And that's what Daniel says. There shall be a time of trouble such as never been seen since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. What we see here at the end of time is not only a heightened tension, but a heightened spiritual warfare and heightened angelic presence. So we have here the angels stepping in in a more specific way at the end of time. Now, there's uh, the, the road that we're going to, to, to try to walk here and create as we look at the book of Daniel is narrow, okay? I'm going to steal that from Jesus as well. We have the narrow road here of right theology. On one of those sides in this ditch is the ditch that says, no, angels, demons, like, ah, they're not real. Or if they are, they never intersect with the physical realm. We're not going to worry about them because that's just some supernatural mumbo jumbo. That's for somebody else to worry about. We don't really need to concern ourselves with those things. And I would say to that person, friend, the, the angels have been given to us to minister to us. And we've seen throughout the book of Daniel, especially in chapter 10, that there is spiritual warfare all around, especially when the people of God pray. That's the ditch on this side. Here's our narrow road. The ditch on this side says everything is spiritual. Everything is because of an angel or a demon. The reason I got that really good parking spot when I went to Walmart is because the angels made it seem to everybody else that there was a car here and those angels saved that parking spot for me. Praise God. Or it's, oh man, I can't believe the devil made me sin. Here's what Paul would say, is we have enough things to worry about with the world and the flesh. He does say our sin is because of the world, the flesh, and the devil, but let's not quickly jump and say, man, it's the devil's fault that I'm a sinner. It's probably the world and the flesh. It's probably primarily because of you. And so we're not just going to blame everything on the devil or on angels. And so in this road right here, we know that as trouble and suffering increases, so does the angelic realm. So does the spiritual realm. At the very end of that verse right there, at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And this is the Lamb's book of life spoken about in Exodus chapter 32, written about by David in Psalm 69. We, we have here two options. That's it. Either your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you will be redeemed. You are righteous because of Christ's blood and as we see in this passage, you are wise or your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life and you will spend eternity separated from God. There is no in-between. There is no, I'll figure it out later. Let me wait and die and then I can make a determination. There is no, God's gonna save everybody. There is no need for hell. There is no separation. No, those are the options, friend. And when your time on this earth expires, when you perish, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ and him alone, then your soul will be with him. You will be delivered. And if your name is not, if you have not put your faith and trust in Christ alone, you will spend eternity separated from him. Those are the options. There is no other religion. There is no other faith. There is no other trust. There is no other work that you can do. That's it. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? I think what's 
encouraging about this, no matter what the world says about you, no matter if your name is scum, if it is trash, if you are beguiled or mocked or made fun of, no matter what they think about you when they say your name, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, then you are loved and approved of by the creator of the universe. And his opinion, his approval of us matters way more than what anybody else can say. You will be delivered. There is your hope. Your name is on the reservation. So when you show up, let's find it. Boom, there it is. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Secondly, not only does God rescue the troubled, but secondly, God raises the dead. Look at the next couple of verses. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So we see here again, this juxtaposition. Either you're going to be raised to everlasting life or you are going to be sentenced to an everlasting death. And so the resurrection day that he's talking about here, if you want me to get into the specifics of this, I can't. I'm sorry, okay? I can't figure out exactly all the details, exactly what all these different things mean. But what we see here in the book of Daniel is that at the end of days, that all bodies are going to be raised, saved and unsaved, and that's going to be a separation day. And so this separation day, if you are righteous, you will go to be with him. Unrighteous, you will spend eternity separated from him. There's a distinction here. But notice he says, some shall awake to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The reason for this is back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 19. We have the curse that Adam and Eve engaged in because of their disobedience to God. Since they rebelled against God, not only are they required to die a physical death, but also a spiritual death. And so here the bodies will be raised and sent to one place or the other, either everlasting life or everlasting damnation and torment. Revelation chapter 14 says this. This will be up on the screen. It says, then death and Hades, sorry, Revelation 20, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 14, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast in its image and whoever receives the mark in its name. So the options are you are either raised to life or you are raised to damnation. Those are, and look at verse number three. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So not only do we say, oh man, my name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Boom, I'm done. Whew, good to go. Daniel, even here, he puts in a little plug for evangelism, which is amazing. Often we think about, oh yeah, wait till we get to the apostolic era. We'll wait, wait till Paul starts talking about it, or maybe Peter, or one of the other disciples. No, we have here, even in the Old Testament, he says, it, it reminds me of Romans chapter 10. You're going to shine like stars in, in the heavens. How are those around us to know about what Christ has done, except we go to them? How beautiful are the feet of them that share good news? So while we are here waiting, looking forward to that day, we're not just kicked back, man, I'm so glad I got my name in the Lamb's book of life. No, we're to be like the stars in the heaven, shining brightly into the darkness that's all around us. Thirdly, I want to see that God rescues the troubled, God raises the dead, but God rules the future. Look at verse number four. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. 
Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now, if you look there, he says, shut up the words and seal the book. This does not mean to hide the words. Rather, it's to protect them, to keep them safe. And here's why. As the time of the end approaches, and we see this all around us, truth is going to be minimized. You have your truth. I have my truth. We can't even know the truth, which in and of itself is a truth statement. It's wild. So he's saying here, keep these things secure. You're going to need to know the truth. You're going to need to know the word of God. That is the only objective truth that we have when it comes to a spiritual heavenly reality, friends. This is all we have. It doesn't matter if your perspective on it is, ah, well, I just think God is this. If it differs from the word of God about who God is, then you are wrong. That's it then you are wrong. He says here, keep this secure. We need this. Look at verse number five. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold. So now the vision is basically over. Now he says, I look and behold, two others stood. One on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. I think this right here, we've talked about this. This is probably a Christophany. This is still Jesus Christ showing up there in the Old Testament yet again in, uh, in a vision to Daniel. So they ask him, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders, till the end of this trouble, till the end of this suffering, until the end of the people of God are in the middle of this distress? These are the wonders that he's talking about. And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the end of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So he said he raises his right hand and his left hand here, an Old Testament symbol for making a vow, making an oath. And we do this. Put your hand on the Bible, raise your right hand, promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. This is Jesus here saying, I'm making an oath. I'm making a vow. This is for sure. This is for certain. It's not going to be until after all the, the people of God until they are nearly shattered. So we're like, okay, well, is this, um, is this close prophecy? Is this Antiochus Epiphanes? Or is this at the end of time with the Antichrist? Those are kind of the two options. And we've kind of vacillated kind of back and forth with these two uh, prophetic options. But I would say here, even at the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, a couple hundred years after Daniel is written, the people of God are not completely shattered. So what we see here is the picture of what's going to happen at the end with the Antichrist showing up. He says, even in the midst of that kind of trouble, hang on, hang on, because God is in charge of the future. Friend, there will come a point in history when it seems like darkness has won. When the Antichrist is in charge, when it looks like the church has been completely obliterated. But we've seen this all throughout the book of Daniel that Satan, our enemy, is creating a counterfeit kingdom, a counterfeit Jesus. Even in the name Antichrist, it either means against or in place of Christ. And we see in the book of Revelation that the Antichrist comes and he rules on a throne. He rules with authority. In fact, if we look in chapter 13, it looks like the Antichrist is killed and after three days comes back to life. A fake, a false, counterfeit, even resurrection. He says, don't be fooled by that. God still rules the future. 
Then in verse number eight, I heard, but I did not understand. This is basically how my house operates almost every single day. You know, I tell my kids, hey, go clean your room. Yesterday, they did a really good job. Sometimes I'll go back in there later and I'll be like, did you hear me? Yeah, I heard you. Did you not understand, you know? Or my wife will walk in and tell me something. And I'll say, I heard, but I did not understand. Anybody else there, men? Okay, so Daniel here, he says, I know you just told me all this stuff. It's like sitting in trigonometry class and you raise your hand, hey teacher, can you explain that again? And they explain it and you say, I still don't get it, sorry. And then the book almost nearly ends, okay? So even Daniel who saw this, who had Jesus standing there hanging out, and this is what, third, fourth, fifth dream vision that we've had so far in this book. He's still just like, I don't get it. The purpose of this is not so that we can understand, but it's so that we can trust not in our interpretation of this, but we can trust in the one who controls the future. Even when we don't know the future, friend, we know the one who controls the future. God is ruling and reigning the future. He says, I don't understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? If you look in the Hebrew, he's basically just like, uh, what? Like that's basically it. He said, go your way. Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. They're sealed. Live your life. And we'll talk more about that. In just He says it again. But look at verse number 10. So we see that God rescues the troubled. God raises the dead. God rules the future. In verses 10 through 12, God redeems the wise. Again, one of two options, wise or unwise, righteous or unrighteous, faith in Jesus or faith in something else. Verse 10, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. The people of God purifying themselves, the wicked acting wickedly, doing the stuff that they do. Our, obviously our bodies get dirty. If you don't take a shower, cleanse yourself, deodorant, you're going to stink. The same is true with our souls. Our souls, because of sin, are filthy. That's why it's important for us to confess our sin to God, to become pure and white. There are things that have been done by us, and there are things that have been done to us. And 1 John chapter 1 says, that for those, because of the faithfulness and justice of Jesus Christ, he is willing to forgive us of all of our sin. Amen? And he gives us the opportunity and the ability to forgive those who have harmed us. Man, what a, what a contrary perspective of life. What a perspective from heaven that this world just doesn't have. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You did this to me, I'm gonna get you back. You think you're so good, look at how good I am. Man, so much comparison. No, he says here, purify yourself. You worry about your sin. You worry about what you're, you've done. Let the wicked act accordingly. He, he goes on there, verse number 10, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Why don't they understand? Because their eyes have not been opened. They are still blind. They are still living in darkness. They don't have the ears to hear. 
They don't have the eyes to see. They don't get it. He says, but you, you are wise. Verse 11, and from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits and await, arrives at the 13th, 1,335th day. Okay, so, all right, now we got some details. All right, now, what, okay, what day is that? Man, I don't know. <laughs> I wish I did. The regular burnt offering, it was taken away during the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. Chris preached on that last week. The regular burnt offering is going to be taken away at the time of the Antichrist. We see that in the book of Revelation. Which one is he talking about here? Man, I don't know. Maybe both of them. This is the beauty and the, the tragedy, the trouble, I don't say tragedy, the trouble of apocalyptic literature. We don't exactly know what he's talking about. So I'm just going to kind of revert back to verse number eight with Daniel. Like, yeah, I'm reading this, but I don't really understand. Like, it's kind of crazy. Even if we did understand, if we did understand exactly when these days, what it meant, we don't know when the days start. We don't, God doesn't show up and say, okay, well, uh, December 1st, 2045, that's when the days begin. So now let's count, you know, 1,335 days after. We don't know. We don't know when the days start. Our goal, our purpose is not to figure all of these things out. It's not to have more knowledge, but it's to live wise, to live wise. Unlike those who are wicked, live for the future, live for eternity. We don't know exactly when they're going to start, but blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 335th day. This is, um, I was trying to think of a couple different illustrations. I talked to David Henry last week about this, but this would be like Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. At the very beginning, it looks like Aslan, Aslan is dead, right? But then he doesn't stay dead forever. Also, John Wick 4 just came out, I think on Friday, right? Same idea. I'm not, I haven't seen it, okay? So I'm not, not saying it's good or bad. I don't know anything about it. I just know it's a thing, okay? Somebody told me it's a thing. But I know that even in John Wick and so many action movies and so many TV shows, it looks like the good guy is about, man, they, the, the evil tries its worst, but the good prevails. And it didn't just prevail in, in chapter one or whatever it is, movie number one, but John Wick survived until movie chapter two, and then movie number three, and then the fourth one just came out. And I would imagine that Keanu Reeves has probably signed a contract for a couple of more movies. So if you go watch number four, again, I'm not saying yes, do no, I don't, I'm not going to watch it probably. Uh, but if you go to watch it, he's probably going to make it to the end. And Daniel is saying the same thing here. Blessed is the one who survives until the end. Because even after evil has tried its hardest God's people, the church, are still going to be there. They are going to survive. His kingdom is going to survive. His will, his plan will not be thwarted. He is in complete control and he is going to redeem those who are wise. Lastly, I want us to see that God rewards the faithful. He said in verse number 12, he said, blessed is he who waits and arrives there at the end. In other words, this word blessed means happy. Be filled with, man, I hope this room isn't filled with water in just a few minutes. It's raining so hard. He says, be filled with joy and happiness when you endure until the end. You don't know when it's going to be. You don't know exactly what it's going to be. It's going to be scary. He says, but be blessed. Endure until the end. And then verse number 13, he says, but go your way until the end. 
and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Go your way, live your life, have your family, go to your job, enjoy your hobbies, work in the yard, watch television, watch March Madness. Go, live your life, go your way. And as you are doing that, shine like stars in the heaven, having an eternal, heavenly perspective, knowing that this is not our hope. Our hope is not in having a job. Our hope is not in having a family, in having kids that obey, in having a bigger house, in having a nicer yard. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, who's coming one day to rule and to reign. It's like Matthew 28. What does Jesus tell his disciples in the Great Commission? Go, therefore, and make disciples. Literally, there in the Greek. As you are going, as life is happening, go, make disciples. Have a heavenly perspective. Do what I've done. I came and lived for you, with you, for a greater purpose. He says, but go your way. What is God calling you to do with your life? And so many times, if you ask somebody that question, if you're asked that question, what is God calling you to do with your life? Man, we got these huge ideas that we'll start sometime in the future. Am I right? Anybody there? Yeah. Eventually, I'm going to play on the Hawks, okay? Like, that's, that's real futuristic. I'll, I'll get there one day. After I play quarterback for the Falcons, which that's actually probably a lot closer to reality if you're following them. Yeah. But we have these grand visions of our lives. But I would ask you, as he talks about going your way, what has God called you to this year? Because he says, go your way. What has he called you to this week? Because we can think, oh, my life, big, okay, whatever. This year, eh, it's a little more, we can wrap our arms around that. But have we even stopped and considered God's purpose for our lives as we are going this week? Or have we already made our plans for this week? Is our schedule full? Is it full of the things that we have to do? Is it full of the things that we want to do? What is our perspective on our lives this week? Is it a, is it a fleeting, transient perspective? Or is it an eternal godly perspective. What's God's plan for your life? As you go till the end. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talks about how uh, there's the boss of a house and he goes away on a trip and he leaves stewards there in charge of the house. Eventually the boss comes back and says, hey, did you do what you were supposed to be doing? And a couple of them, yes, I was being faithful. But some of his servants were lazy. He said, what is wrong with you, man? When Christ comes again, friend, listen, we can talk about the Antichrist and we can try to figure out what the days are. And we can figure out what all the goats and the, and the lambs and everything else and all the, the rams and everything else that Daniel means. But here's the one thing that we know. Here's our church's eschatology, right? We've said this. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, how is he going to find you? Being faithful, wise, righteous, or is he going to find you being foolish, wicked, unrighteous, living for yourself. If I told you that in, 
in four years from today, from March 26th, that you're going to be moving to Nashville, Tennessee. You're moving there in four years. And for every single dollar that you send ahead to this one bank there in Nashville, they will match it with $100. You're like, that's, um, that's, that's even better than cryptocurrency like five years ago. You know, that's, that's really good. For every dollar you send ahead to this bank there in Nashville, they'll match it with $100. I don't know about you, but for me, I would be sending as many dollars as possible ahead to that bank. I would be, I mean, I, I would go uh, completely rice and beans, beans and rice, every single meal. And when I say every single, like every week, we'd be eating one meal. You know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm putting everything that I can at that one bank in Nashville. I know that day is coming, but it's going to completely, drastically change my life for the next four years while I'm still living here in McDonough. And that's how we are as the people of God who are longing for and looking forward to that day, having an eternal perspective the longings of Daniel's heart, they were not completed. He never got to return to Israel. He never made it back to Jerusalem. He didn't see the temple. He didn't see God's people again. He didn't see Jesus Christ who came the first time. He didn't see uh, the resurrection of the dead that's written about here. But his longing was there. Friend, God is going to reward the faithful. He's going to reward you. Everything you are doing here is not wasted. I know it feels that way. The things you are doing here for the sake of the kingdom are not wasted, but they are an investment. Every single prayer that you pray that you think is unanswered for your child or for your neighbor or for your spouse or for your parents, every single dollar that is given, every single way that you serve, every single evangelistic opportunity that you take, those are investments in the kingdom. And the kingdom of God, it's got an incredible return on investment. The kingdom of God never gets, has a depression. It never even has a recession. You never look at your stock portfolio and be like, oh man, it, the kingdom of God never takes a dip. It never does. The ROI is incredible. And so I would plead with you as we see here the faithfulness of Daniel in the face of so much distress, so much anxiety, so much pain and suffering. He says, it's not going to end until we get to heaven, but remain faithful. Invest as much as you can for the sake of the kingdom and you'll be rewarded for every single one of those. Throughout the book of Daniel, we've seen a variety of kings. And every single one of these kings that we've seen has, been for their, has lived for their own power, possessions, pleasure, popularity, other P words. They've lived completely for themselves, chasing all of these things. And in none of those things did these kings, did anyone find life. Life was never found in any of those. Life is only found in a kingdom of love, of sacrifice, of humility, a kingdom that is looking forward to a king that is going to come and reign perfectly, where there is going to be peace, where we are going to be blessed and happy forever. 
because of Jesus' life, his death, his sacrifice, his resurrection, that kingdom has been made available to us even today. And so I would plead with you. I'm not going to plead with you to say, man, be faithful like Daniel. That's, no, I want to plead with you to find life in Jesus. Find life in Jesus. That's what the wise do. That's what the righteous do. That's what those who have life do. They turn their eyes, they fix their eyes toward a greater reality, toward a greater, a better king. One who loved you enough to come and to live with us, to die for you. He took the wrath of the father on himself so that you could have his righteousness. And that's available to us. It's available to you today. You say, yeah, I've, I put my faith and trust in Jesus and, and I just, I, you know, I still struggle with that. Absolutely. I, I, I think I could speak for almost all of us in the room and say, yeah, we struggle with that. Man, we struggle because our eyes are still, they're still a little, we're not in complete darkness, but it's, it's kind of like this, you know, some days. And some days it's like, I can't even see through the darkness. Man, sin's got a hold of me. And I would pray for you and plead with you that you would turn your eyes to Jesus. He is faithful. He is just. Jesus Christ is coming again. And here's how I want to close out the book of Daniel. I want to close this out with 10 facts about the second coming of Jesus. Here they are. You ready? So the book of Daniel looks forward to Christ's second coming. All 10 of these will be up on the screen. The first five are on one slide. The second five are on the other side if you want to take a picture of these. 10 things as we set our eyes with a heavenly focus on what life truly looks like. Jesus Christ himself will come again. If these texts will be up on the, on, the, on the screen as well, proof texting these quickly. Uh, but we've seen this all throughout the book of Daniel. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That's what First Thessalonians chapter 4 says. Secondly, we will meet him in the air. First Thessalonians 4, verse number 17, the very next verse says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The third thing that we see is that all who are in the grave will hear his voice. John 5, 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Quick aside, uh, I think if, we, if you look at the book of John, getting ready for next week, uh, John eleven twelve 12, somewhere, I think chapter 12, Jesus raises Lazarus back from the dead. I think the reason that Jesus had to use the name Lazarus, he said, Lazarus, come forth, because I think if he just said, hey, dead person in the grave, come forth, that all the dead bodies in the grave would have come out. That's the power of Jesus. So he had to use Lazarus's name. But at the end of time, Jesus is going to say, you who are dead, come out of the graves. The fifth thing that we see is that he will, sorry, the fourth thing is that he will return when we are least expecting it. Matthew 24, therefore stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. The fifth thing is that he will return to the Mount of Olives. On that day, his feet, Zechariah chapter 14 says, shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies between, between Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. Quick aside, that's why almost every single grave in North America is facing east. 
So if you ever get lost, you don't have your GPS, you're directionally challenged like I am, just go find a graveyard and you can at least figure out which way north, south, east, and west is. That because we're looking forward to Jesus coming back again. Number six, he will destroy the Antichrist. Second Thessalonians again, chapter two. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Number seven, he will gather all nations and judge them. Matthew 25 says, before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Friend, there are simply two options, either a sheep or a goat. That's it. Either with him forever or separated from him for all time. Number eight, he will then recreate the earth. Revelation 25. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Notice he doesn't say I'm making all new things. He doesn't say, I'm going to destroy the world and then replace it. By the way, we'll study Revelation next year, okay? He says, I'm making all things new. And he's also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Number nine, every knee shall bow. Paul writes in Philippians 2, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the last thing that we see is that Jesus Christ will eat and drink with us again. Man, this is such good news. Luke chapter 22 says, For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this morning, he invites you, those who are humble, those who are needy, those who are longing, those who don't have things put together, those who cannot find something in this world to place their faith in, those who have placed their faith and hope in Jesus Christ, who are longing to see him one day, he says, come, partake of this meal with me. Be reminded that I lived for you, that I died for you, that I rose again for you so that you can experience life and life abundant. You can be satisfied and fulfilled in me. Whatever life looks like, whatever sickness, pain, tragedy looks like, whatever you have done, whatever has been done to you, there is hope. Jesus says, I will be with you in that. He says, take, my, take this bread as representation of my body. Dip it in this juice. Put it in your mouth. Feel it. Taste it. Eat it. That's how real my presence is with you, no matter what life looks like. And one day, we're going to participate in this feast together with all of God's people. Not, not through, a, not through a, a dim window, one that's got rain or condensation or fog all over it, but we'll be able to see him clearly, face to face. So friend, this morning, if you come and you say, man, that's, the, that's where I want to find life is in Jesus Christ. I've been looking for other places this past week or this past month or so far this year. You see, man, my faith has been in Jesus, but I've just, I've not been experiencing his presence and his power. I would say, repent, turn to him even now. You say, I've never done that. I've never repented of my sin. I would say, do that now. Fall upon his mercy and his grace. 
we get the chance to celebrate this each and every week. And I'm reminded, even as we've looked at the book of Daniel, that his presence brings joy. Blessed are you who endure until the end. This is a chance for us to remember that. This is a chance for us to repent. And this is a chance for us to rejoice. So family, let's join with the presence of Jesus as we do this even now.